0: This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Hello again everybody and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Hot Stove 2020. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow down in Peoria, Arizona. A little cool and rainy out here, but right now the sun is going to come up tomorrow in Arizona. It's going to be about... 74 degrees hi again everybody rick Riz along with gary hill jr and our very special guest here in the booth for the next uh, two hours here at our 710 espn studios in downtown seattle former mariner pitcher does a great job for us on radio and television ryan roland smith how you doing buddy i'm doing well i feel like we're, we're back in the swing of it man i've been all over the place we've
1: been getting caught up in the last 30 minutes it's good to be back well we thought with pitchers and catchers we'd have an actual hey, yeah. pitcher with yeah. us yes Reporting. You want me to dive into how it is, guys? Yes, because I've done it before. I've done it many years now. (laughs) It's a a fun time. I will say it's um, it's exciting. The team's optimistic. You see your friends again. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's a good time of year. How much fun is it once you finally get down there? You know, you spend the winter in your case in Australia, and now you're making a lot of your time. You know, here in the Seattle area, or wherever you were. You know, in the minor leagues, waiting for a big league chance to actually. Get to spring training and lace up the spice and the spice go clickety-clack over the concrete, onto the grass, and you walk out on the field for the first time. That's got to be a great feeling at spring training.
1: That's the best. I mean, you see guys that you've bonded with, you've, you've, you've you know shared road trips with, locker rooms for six months. You see your friends. You're full of optimism, like I said. The energy's through the roof. About a week or so in, those brand new spikes—you talk about the ones that go clickety click—they yeah, start I to love that sound. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I miss it. But, but the uh, the toes start to you know hurt a little bit. You're standing around a lot. The legs start to get sore. You're trying to you know be a hero in the weight room, whatever it is. And then once you get week two, week three, and those games are about are on the horizon, that's when it yeah. gets fun.
0: It is a lot of fun. We can't wait, pitchers and catchers tomorrow. We have a great show. Gary Hill has put together a wonderful show tonight. In the first hour, we're going to visit with Mariner shortstop. J.P. Crawford, the kid, uh, played in almost 100 games so last year coming up from Triple A Tacoma, did a nice job for the ball club. We're also going to visit with uh, Mariners' infield coach. Uh, he's been a major league coach for about 25, 26 years. Uh, Perry Hill is going to join us, so that's going to be interesting talking with Perry right on the heels of talking with J.P. Crawford because he really helped out J.P. during the course of last season. We'll also visit with Sam Dykstra from uh, minorleaguebaseball.com. He did a big story on uh, a preview of... All the prospects in the American League West with the Astros, with the A's, with the Angels, Rangers, and, of course, the Mariners. So we'll talk with Sam in the first hour. In the second hour, we're going to talk with uh, Trevor Gooby, who is the senior vice president of baseball uh, operations, or rather ballpark operations out of T-Mobile Park. And there's a lot of renovations going on right now. There's going to be where Lookout Landing was, high above the left-field corner. It's going to be the Trident Deck. There's going to be new seating options in the uh, Terrace Club level and other uh, changes as well at the ballpark. So we're going to visit with Trevor Gooby, Senior Vice President of Ballpark Operations at the T-Mobile Park, and also visit with Greg Johns, who's down in Arizona, who uh, is the beat writer for MLB.com. And, Gary, that's always interesting for the writers to get down there. We're going to find out a lot of great stories coming up here in the next uh, four or five Greg months.
2: Johns has reported. He is yes. there.
0: And we can get underway with uh, the with, uh, spring. Yeah, and
2: when Greg is down there. I lo- just the term pitchers and catchers. I just, I love it so much. I mean, it means finally after the long winter baseball is finally here. When you hear ba- pitchers and catchers, I love it yeah. and you know this you see the scenes of players on an actual field for the first time in months. It's yeah. it's so great. Usually, though, the first week, it's still chilly down there. I know. Because, you, you, you know, you're looking up the weather and
1: everything else, and you're usually coming from a cold climate, especially here in the northwest. You get down there, it's still got
0: a bit of bite yeah. in
2: the air first couple of days. Although after the winter we've had here, oh, <laughs> yeah. like just seeing the sunshine alone.
0: feels like you're in Bali. <laughs> 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 I was down there a week and a half ago, and it was 72, 75 degrees, and it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> 72. And, and, you know, when you, when you feel is when you, you, you land – at the Phoenix International Airport, and you walk—you're walking toward the the exit of the plane. And you, as soon as you walk off the plane, boom—you feel that heat, yeah, and that warmth. You go, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto.
1: Yeah, and the, and the broad, theres a brightness to the sky. as Yeah, well. there's the a
0: sun, <laughs> <laughs> that shiny orb in the sky, <laughs> kind of warms things up.
2: I mean, I guess it still exists. It's there. Okay, you've seen it. I, recently, I've seen it. So that's yeah, it was good. Down there, okay, yeah. so that's. That's good. It's been verified that the sun still exists. Because if you've spent your entire winter here, there's no way to really know <laughs> that it's sure. still around. Yeah, see, around. I,
1: I shouldn't be talking too much. I just go, I'm, you know, I'm fresh off the plane yeah. from Australia yeah. a week and a half ago.
0: So How hot is it down there during the it, summer down there, right? Yeah, it's hot.
1: For sure. And, you know, I started to complain towards the end of it. I got off that plane here in Seattle. I was like, "Yeah, eh, I'm, gonna get right I'm not going to clear custom. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm out. Back
2: to street. <laughs> <gonna clear> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we're, we're going to get down there here in the next uh, few days. I'm going down on Sunday. Gary, when you are going to be going down there? Yeah, I'm going. I'll be game. down there
2: this weekend. So getting some work done. Trying to get ready.
0: Yeah. Our first game down there, folks, is uh, February 22nd. Yeah.
2: Next Saturday. Uh, early this year.
0: Yeah. yeah. Against the San Diego Padres. Then uh, we play about a month down there. We open up the regular season right here at T-Mobile Park on March the 26th against the Texas Rangers. And a lot of changes in baseball, man. You know, guys flying around. Finally, the Mookie Betts trade finally was traded by the White Sox to the Dodgers. It was put on hold for a while. They changed up a few names and uh, finally got that done. So a lot of changes. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It
2: was, it was fun. I really enjoyed the Betts saga after – after all the discussion about the Astros and everything else, it was fun to talk about. Yeah, baseball a trade. Yeah, it was fun to talk <laughs> about a trade. big, big trade, and that's a big trade. That has yeah. a lot of ramifications. Yeah, that was, and, and that's usually
1: you look at Mookie Betts and think he's untouchable, regardless of the financial situation. If you're sliding into a rebuild, whatever you, if you're a big market team, he's one of these guys that just doesn't come along very often. I will put yeah, him yeah. in the same category as Mike Trout. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I was, I was kind of shocked. I get it. There's reasons why. But yeah. uh, even the winter meetings, man, all these long-term deals. I, I didn't think this was going to be the trend. But all of a sudden now they're locking up guys in their 30s, you know, seven, nine years. It's, it's, it's great.
0: Yeah, a lot of movement uh, over the last few weeks. We are getting ready for pitchers and catchers to report tomorrow. And right now we're going to get ready to visit with uh, Mariner shortstop J.P. Crawford. J.P. is going to join us right here on Hot Stove right after this time out. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Patrick ready to set. Long takes off again. 3-2 pitch. Swing and a soft liner down the left field line. A fair ball into the corner. Long to third. He's going to be waved in. The ball hung up at the seats. Rounding third. Heading home is Long. The throw to the plate is late. Long scores. The Mariners win it 4-3. to three. Here in the bottom of the ninth inning, and a walk-off double by J.P. Crawford. One of the highlights for the young shortstop for the Mariners who took over that role last year and took a stranglehold on that position, young J.P. Crawford with a uh, walk-off double to win a ballgame scoring uh, shed long. J.P. is going to be our guest uh Here on Hot Stove uh, tonight, I was was really impressed, guys. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith with uh, the way when he came up, you know, from AAA Tacoma early last year, working with Perry Hill, who's also going to be on the show a little bit later on tonight. the, the, The improvement that this young man made defensively at shortstop. And one play that really stands out is the play deep in the hole. Went way out there in shallow left field, twisting and turning, falling back and he made the throw to the first base and was able to get the runner. But to see the the maturation process for this young yeah. man was fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it really was. And and he was coming from a situation with the Phillies, big time prospect, really trying to make a name for himself, couldn't quite get that adjustment to be that everyday player. And last year he got a good he put, he got his first chance really to do this every day.
2: Yeah. Glad you mentioned that play. I mean, that was the defensive play of the year last year, wasn't it? I think I mean, so. it was one of the best plays yeah. in the majors last year. It, I was just looking at that uh, when I was thinking about J.P. coming into this show, and the, it's, it's the kind of play you look at you shake your head like, how in the world did he make that play? Yeah. How It's incredible, and it it's, uh, it's a glimpse of the possibilities, too, of him defensively Yeah, and, and what you, he can do. Exactly. And that's, that's my point, too, with the Phillies. Sometimes
1: you come up for the first time, you're a young player, the weight of the world's on your shoulders, there's big expectations, yeah. and there's just not that comfort level. When he starts making plays like that, and then everything else you mentioned with Perry Hill, working with him, all of a sudden you, you start to slide into that comfort level where you're playing every day, and all of a sudden that then transitions into what you do on the offense side as well.
0: Exactly. And, and we're going to see some vast improvements. in and JP last year he hit 226, seven home runs, 46 runs batted, and that is now a position where so many guys add the offense with the defense. We will see this young man, you know, do that as well. As the more games that he plays there, you know, this is your job. Go out there and and take over at shortstop, and you'll yeah. see the difference offensively when you're on. You know, I'm going to be a lineup every day.
1: I think too, you know deal, learning to deal with that, you know, O for four, then O for eight. Coming back and playing the next day, getting over that fatigue, that mental fatigue that goes into being an everyday player, learning to face lefties consistently. When you you know walk up to the batter's box, have that good approach, yeah. and you know, you, know, you feel like you can start settling in to that role. And you said it too when he came up last year, he 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 took over that that that
2: position. He owned that, and all of a sudden here he is, new home and yeah. good. Yeah. His first. 30 some games last year. Pretty remarkable. I mean slashed, you know, over 300, on base percentage over 380, you know, slugged 500, you know, over uh 11 doubles in that stretch. I mean, he, he was really really good offensively. Um and again, I mean, you look at especially for a young player basically getting their feet wet, you see the glimpses of what he can be. And especially that position. I mean, shortstop, it's it's hugely important, obviously. It is, and it's so highly touted, too. You have got, you know, every
1: organization has that line of prospects coming up in that shortstop you know, in that shortstop position.
0: Exactly, and, and I think that's what Jerry and the scouts saw when they made that trade for Gene Segura, you know, to the Philadelphia Phillies to acquire a very young J.P. Crawford, and it's going to be fun watching him, you know, take off at that position. And fortunately for J.P., he's got a veteran to his right in Kyle Seager. So Kyle is really going to help out with that process, you know, defensively at shortstop. Now he can pass along a lot of things because he's going to have Shed Long over there at second base, a young second baseman who was in the outfield last year and also played second base. And there's also D Gordon still on the ball club to help out as well. So he's got D Gordon to lean on. He's got Perry Hill, a coach to lean on. He's got Kyle Seeger to lean on. So all the all the things are in place for JP to really blossom into a major league shortstop. Yeah,
1: if you can have that one voice, that one veteran to lean on, to listen to and trust what they're saying, what their process is and learn. You know, being a young player like JP, you mentioned having Carl Seeger to his right who, you know, fits that role so well to be, you know, a leader and a mentor for him and and you mentioned Perry Hill as well. Man, that makes all the difference. You come to a new team, again you're trying to impress, you know, impress everyone again. You're a first-rounder with another organization coming over in a big trade. Yeah. You can get that comfort, man. You, you can do some special things.
2: You're talking about infield defense, too, and I think, and we'll talk to Perry Hill about this, but I think infield defense in particular is going to be a big story for this team coming into this season. We saw the struggles defensively last year overall, especially early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, defense did improve as the season went on, but it, it really struggled to begin the year, and I think with A healthy Kyle Seager at third makes a big difference. I'm really excited to see Evan White at first base. I mean, you're pretty solid defensively at the corners. And you're looking for improvement up the middle from Crawford and Long as well. I think that's going to be one of the things that we'll watch is uh, especially when you have, you know, you you don't have a ton of flamethrowers in the rotation. And it's important to be solid defensively, and that's going to be one of the storylines, I think, coming into the season. Yeah, you, you had the sense where the
1: game sped up just a little bit for some of these guys. Dylan Moore in the beginning of the year. Yeah, you know, first chance playing in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, playing, he's playing all different kinds of positions. He doesn't have that, that, that set role really in, on the team. But... You start to see that, and it starts to snowball. It's contagious when when that can happen. All of a sudden, you look around. You, you can read about it when you know you get these young players. They all read about themselves now on social media about the defense and making those you know those those fundamental plays and everything else. But again, that's that's Perry Hill's got a yeah
2: you know, a big challenge in front of him. There's so much youth on this team. It's and I, to have a guy like Perry Hill around, though, oh, I mean, when you're talking about yeah. having that much youth in the infield, having a guy, I mean, he's he has been around. He has done this for a long time. He has one of the best reputations in baseball for molding defensive players.
0: This is a coach, I think one of the most highly touted coaches yeah. in the major leagues. Uh, Jerry did a heck of a job to get Perry Hill last year to bring him in with a very young ball club and now even a younger ball club this year to work with You know, a prospect like Evan White over first base and J.P. as we talked about and, and Shed Long. And, and Kyle Seager, you know, even though you're a veteran, you still need that guy to lean on as well to, you know, keep you going during the course of the year. But this is a guy that has worked with uh, five Gold Glove winners, and the most recent one was D Gordon mm-hmm. uh, about five years ago with the Miami Marlins. So, you know, it's fun talking with him. And, and when, you, when you watch Perry, when you talk with Perry Hill, because I like to get out to the ballpark early. He's already there, man. He's yeah. in uniform. He is ready. He's, his motor constantly is going, and he's got those guys out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon working on something. Time to go to work. Let's go. And you've got to love that, especially right now with so many young players on this ball club you got to go out there and put in the work, and this guy is willing to work with them.
1: And you can tell he's made an impact on different guys around the league. You look you, you look down during batting practice. He's given hugs, <laughs> yeah, high-fives, right. handshakes with everyone. Every yeah. every visiting team comes in. They all know Perry Hill, and they all have their own stories. I mean, he's made an impact on that many guys, and you mentioned some of the gold goblers as well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love watching him work and uh, his passion for the game of baseball and his passion to help out these kids. Hot Stove 2020 continues live from our uh, 710 ESPN studios. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith. And we'll be back with more right after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back to Hot Stove 2020. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith. And our special guest tonight is a guy that's been around the game of baseball for a long, long time. Born in Kansas but grew up in Texas, went to college in Texas, played six years professionally. But he is one of the best coaches, I think, in the major leagues. Infield coach, Mariners infield coach, Perry Hill, joins us here in Hot Stove 2020. How you doing, Perry?
3: Good, Riz. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: It's nice to have you here. Where are you right now? Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow, and how ready are you to get this spring underway? It's going to be a special spring. It is.
3: It is. We're all excited. Uh, I've been here for a few days. We've had some uh, organizational meetings, and and uh, some of the infielders have reported early, so we've got a little head start there. And uh, tomorrow's uh, we're having some physicals, and then the pitchers and catchers will be on the field on uh, Thursday, and we're all excited to get started.
0: Tell us a little bit about your thoughts about this spring with so many young players, Perry, coming in uh, this year that Jerry brought in.
3: Well, they're young, but they're talented. Hmm. And um, you, you, there's a lot to work with. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about our prospects that that they're going to be extremely uh, coachable. They all have tremendous work ethic. Um, they're eager to learn. Uh, they want to play. And so you, you have all those, uh, assets on your side. Eventually you're becoming, you're going to become a very good major league player because they want to be good players. And like I said, they're very coachable, uh, tremendous work ethic. And of course, we're going to be young. We're going to take some lumps, but we're going to, we're going to do well also. And in the long run, uh, I'm really excited about, uh, the prospects of these guys really maturing together as a group. And, uh, and what the future looks like for the Mariners.
2: When you're working with a young player for the first time, what kind of things are you looking at defensively?
3: Um, well, a lot of times I haven't seen a guy. I'll just see how he moves to the ball, uh, you know, if he's uh, heavy-footed, uh, you know, if there's a lot of marks on the infield or if his feet are light, does he move well through the ball? Um, where his hands are, position, are positioned, are they out in front or do they tend to lay back underneath his body? Um, things like that. Those are all teachable, coachable things, but those are the things you look for, the, the, the guys that can just kind of glide to and through the ball.
1: Hey, Per, I've got a question for you. When you've got you know, new, new players and there's a lot of turnover here with the Mariners, a lot of young players, how long do you think it takes for them to really earn your trust and you know, to, to have that good relationship you know, with these young guys as you get into spring training?
3: Well, we've had, uh, you know, a, a lot of them were in, were, were in camp last year and, and, and got that big league experience, and, and, and they've uh, seen how we operate, and we know how they operate. And so sure, there's going to be a feeling out period. Uh, you know, they're going to have to trust me. I'm going to have to trust them. Uh, you know, I, I have my certain beliefs and my program and the system that we have. And I'm sure that, you know, they like a certain way of doing things. And so I watch them. They listen to me. And we pick and choose what works. And, um, I think that, uh, when you give them a voice and ask them what they think, I think that that helps the relationship. It's just not all a dictatorship. You know, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to help you tell me what you're thinking. And then we can go from there.
0: Perry, you did a great job, of course, with everybody. Working uh, with the infielders, but I think the biggest impact may have been with uh, a young shortstop, JP Crawford. JP started the year down at Triple A Tacoma. Where was JP when he joined the ball club? When he came up to the big leagues with us, he was up and down the previous few years with the Philadelphia Phillies for a couple of games, handful of ball games. What did you get JP to do? Because he made some of the most incredible plays, you know, during the course of the season last year.
3: Well. <clears throat> He did some really incredible athletic plays, but what impressed me is, um, we call it making the plays in the box, in the box. You know, we're a, we're a position where a player is positioned and I always talk about four or five steps left, four or five steps right, four or five steps back, four or five steps in and you connect those little dots and there's a box there. Yeah. And if you make the plays that are in that box, you really, you're going to, you're going to win some games and you're going to really help your pitchers. And so what impressed me about J.P. is he made most of the plays in that box. And we all remember the play he made with the throw. Uh, yeah. That's a bonus. You know, when you go out of the box, I just tell him, be an athlete. But you're playing within the box. You need to be fundamentally sound and, and make those plays every time because you have, you have fundamentals that you use and you use the same ones every time to get a rhythm. And I think that was the most impressive thing to me about J.P. is that he made those plays in the box.
0: When you, when a kid makes a play like that, you work you working with him every day. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel like a proud papa inside that dugout when you see a play like that?
3: Well, there's there's a feeling of uh, a joy for him because I think he was I always been a talented player. He was the number one pick. Now I just think there was a little tweak or two that that all that that uh, just needed to be made, and he uh, and he made it. And I think his footwork really improved, and that increased his direction and his distance toward first base. It gave, it gave him better direction, and he got closer to first base with some movement. And it just made his arm work better. You know, the, the, the better your feet are, your feet give you direction. Yeah. And if you can get proper direction toward your target, it makes your arm a lot smoother, a lot better, a lot more accurate. And I think that's the that's the change he made. And to me, it was very evident.
2: How important are the feet when you talk about the six F's of fielding?
3: Well, like I, like I just mentioned, that, that you, you know, as weird as it sounds, you throw with your feet. Because if your feet don't take you towards your target and get your left shoulder lined up with your target, it doesn't matter what your arm does. Your arm will have to change angles, and you'll get underneath the ball, and that's when you feel that nasty sinker in the first place. Mm-hmm. So your feet really make your arm move. And I kind of liken it to a, a basketball player playing defense. So you know, that basketball player doesn't cross his feet when he plays defense and then take his hand out and try to reach and slap the ball away. But then he'll foul. You know, he'll reach across the guy and there'll be a reaching in foul. The basketball player moves his feet, never crosses his feet and tries to stay in front of his defender. And basically that's the same thing we do as infielders. We try not, we try to, to get angles and, and get our feet moving and creating distance and angles and direction toward our target. And, uh, when you do that, it makes your arm work.
1: Hey Perry, I got one for you. I noticed you know, you're on Twitter. You're, you're vocal. You're hands-on. You're that kind of coach, which which is kind of rare in the big leagues. Sometimes you know, sometimes you let the, these older guys do their thing. But you know, in 2020, there is just there's so many gurus out there. I find this with pitching online. You ever go through and and check out you know different trends or what guys are doing, philosophies or drills, and say, hey, I'm going to try this out. I I
3: I. I... Yeah. Yes, I do. I, I check, I, I look at most everything and then, uh, you know, I just kind of process it myself and then, um, see if I think it's, you know, uh, worthwhile. And, um, you know, a, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of gimmicks out there. Uh, but I find out that just good old fashioned hard work. And, uh, to me, uh, and you'll, you can probably relate to this cause, uh, a few years ago, you know, you, the wall is a really good teacher throwing the ball up against the wall and fielding it yourself with the proper fundamentals is a great teacher. And you can come to our spring training complex and some mornings you'll just hear a thud, a thud, a thud. And we'll have a couple of infielders out there throwing the ball against the wall, uh, getting into good fielding positions, finding their rhythm, letting their hands work, making their feet simulate work like they're throwing to first base and Uh, You can get a lot of work done by yourself against the wall before you even step out on the field. And I think just things just as simple as that can really iron out some kinks.
0: So, Perry, who were some of the coaches who had a great influence on you, and can you still hear those guys telling you uh, inside your brain uh, when you're talking to these kids now?
3: Well, Toby Hare and Buddy Bell were really, really uh, uh, – instrumental to me. They, you know, I believed in, in, in me a, a long time ago and, and they taught me a lot, Buddy taught me a lot about third base play. And, uh, Toby was a really good up for, for confidence. Toby was never in a bad mood. He was always in a good, upbeat mood, made everybody feel good, made you feel like you were wanted that, that you, you, that, that you were needed. And, uh, those two guys really had a big influence on, uh, giving me confidence, uh, to go ahead and pursue my career.
2: I want to know about 2003 winning the world series. What do you remember about winning it with the Marlins over the Yankees?
3: Oh, that was a, that was a tremendous year. Um, it's one of those years that, you know, we got off to a really bad start. I think we were like 12 or 13 games under 500 and in, in May, and then things just turned around and we were a really good team the rest of the year. Um, that was the uh, the 100th anniversary of the World Series, which also made it special. It was also the year that uh, we were down three games to one for the Cubs to even get to the World Series and came back and won three games in a row against Pryor, Zambrano, and Wood. And that was also, <laughs> if you'll remember, that was the Bartman wow. incident in left field. Yeah, so I was right. fortunate enough to be on the field and see a lot of that stuff. Uh, I felt sorry for a lot of people that it happened to. But it was fortunate it gave us a break. As a matter of fact, I was telling that story tonight to a couple of coaches that uh, we were behind three to one with one out in the eighth inning, and we were down three games to one. And that incident happened down the left field line. Fifteen minutes later, the score was eight to three, Marlins. So it just things just turned in a heartbeat. Uh, we won that game and won the next two, and went on to a World Series, and beat the Yankees four games to two.
1: Hey, Perry, do you ever combine? You know, you've been here 2019 your first year now, 2020, do you ever, you know, look at this roster, look where you guys are at as an organization and compare it to any team or any year that you've had in your career?
3: We were very young one year when I was in Detroit. Uh, we had some young infielders uh, besides uh, Travis Fryman was, uh, was, the, was the older guy. But we had a guy named Debbie Cruz, Damian Easley, and Tony Clark, who is now the uh, Players Union president he was the first baseman on that team and 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 that was a young group uh, minus uh, Travis Fryman and uh, uh, there were some uh, growing pains there but again they had such tremendous work ethic and they wanted to get better they were very coachable and you had to like chase them off the field in the afternoon and i think that's the vibe i get from this group uh, and uh that's the one i kind of draw a parallel line to is that these these guys uh are, they seem to be that way, and uh, I don't I don't think that this team is, is uh, being overhyped. These kids are, I think they're really good players, and I think because of their work ethic and their attitude and who they are, I think they can do nothing but get better. I think that's in their DNA. I think that's just the way they're made up, and like I said earlier, I'm really excited about being able to work with this group.
0: Visiting with Mariners infield coach Perry Hill. Perry, let's talk about one of those kids. We're going to talk about a lot of those kids here in the next uh, few days, especially when we get down there. But Evan White, we've heard so much about Evan White. He was given a six-year major league contract by the organization, so that tells you what Jerry and the organization thinks about Evan White as a player and his future with this ball club. But we've heard so much about his defense. Uh, what, What makes this kid so good over there at first base, Perry?
3: Well, Number one I think he's confident. I think he I think he, he believes in himself and and he and he knows what he's doing. Uh I only saw him play a handful of games in spring training last year, but uh I know that he does the right things. He's in the right spot on bump plays and cutoff and relays and and things that things you can't control, he controls. You know, sometimes you can't control a bad hop or sometimes you get a bad grip and you throw a ball away. Those things happen. We understand that. But things that he can control, being in the right spot at the right time, I never remember him being out of position. And that's a really good trait to have when you're young, your first big league camp, when you're nervous to begin with. And so that kind of stood out to me.
2: There are so many times that we get to the ballpark and we're in the booth getting our our work done in the Hmm. afternoon, and we look down on the field, and there you are going through a drill with an infielder. Is it just trial and error over the course of time that you've amassed your collection of drills? How do you go about it?
3: Well, just what you said, uh, it, it's just, you know, tinkering things as, um, uh, as the years go by, um, you know, I, I do things maybe a little bit different than some other coaches, but that's what, that's what makes the game fun. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no right or wrong way. And, uh, everybody has their own opinion and their, their way of doing things. You know, it, the old saying, there's, there's nine ways to skin a cat. You know, there's a, so, there's a, uh,
2: there's, there's a lot of
3: ways to, uh, to get things done. I just, I have my beliefs and I have my convictions and, uh, and that's the way I go about things. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of creep along in my drills. I roll more balls than I probably hit early in a drill because I want to see them do the fundamental things right. It does me no good to go up to home plate and start whacking ground balls. And then stop the drill and have to walk out there and explain and talk about something. I would rather roll the balls and make sure I see what I need to see. Cause I can control where I roll it. I know where I want to roll it, what speed I want to roll it. And I want to see their feet, how they react, how they get the ball prepared to throw and all those things fit together. Like I want them to, then that's when I back up and start, you know, hitting the ground ball and do some other uh, things to make the drill speed up. But You know, I'm always one of those guys that believe that every single day you start at the basement and you build up. It does you no good to start on the 10th floor. (laughs) If if the 10th floor, something's wrong, then you got to go all the way back down to the basement anyway. Let's just start at the basement to begin with, make sure everything's fine, and work up and build up. And I don't care if it's February the 15th, the first, first day of spring training. Or September 28th, the last day of the season, I'll always start my work and, and drill work by rolling balls to make sure I see what I want to see before I move on.
0: Visiting with Perry Hill of the, the Mariners infield coach. Uh, Perry, what's the communication like between the major league coaches and the coaches down in the minor leagues when the kids advance from rookie ball to A ball to double A, then you start to see them at uh, triple A, then you, then you get a chance to get them and and get your hands on them. You know when they when they hit the major league level. What's that communication like between the coaching staff in the minor leagues to to get these guys on the right path? So when 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 they get to you, you know you got something to really mold into a big league player.
3: Well, we're very for- fortunate to have uh, Darren Brown and Roy Hall in AAA, two tremendous coaches that um, teach our program and teach it very well. And so if a player is there, I know they're getting I know they're getting the instruction and getting the work that they need to. And if they've passed up to us they'll always call me, tell me about the progress, what they expect, mm-hmm. what they're doing well, maybe what they're working on. And just the, the other way around. If somebody has to be sent down then we communicate with those two, uh Roy and Darren and and so they'll know what they need to work on when they get down there. So it's, it's it, there's a lot of communication, a lot of phone calls, text, and um, it's a really good setup because uh, there's no egos involved. Uh, we, they try to get players ready for us, and if something goes wrong up here, we send them there and they get them ready again for us. They do a tremendous job.
0: Well, I know one thing, Perry, when these kids get here and uh, the veterans as well, they get a chance to work with one of the best in the business, and that's you, Perry. And uh, we're very fortunate to have you on this staff last year and again this year. And I'm really looking forward to watching the maturation process, especially the young players on this team working with you, seeing you and those kids out there early in the afternoon getting ready for a ball game. So, uh, Perry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Can't wait to see you down in Arizona here in the next uh, few days at the start of spring training. Okay, thank great.
3: You. Great. Look forward to seeing all of you. Thanks for having
0: me. You're welcome. Perry Hill, our guest uh, here on Hot Stove. We're going to be back, and we're going to visit with Sam Dykstra, who is with uh, MinorLeagueBaseball.com, did uh, a special feature on the top prospects in the American League West. We'll visit with uh, Sam as Hot Stove continues right after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Winding down the first hour of Hot Stove tonight, 2020, Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Ryan Roland-Smith, and our special guest right now is writer Sam Dykstra. Sam uh, joins us here on Hot Stove. Sam just did an article previewing the uh, Prospects the top prospects in the American League West. And there's a lot of them. Sam, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Great to have you.
4: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Sam, let's start off with uh, our organization. Jerry Depoto took uh, the Mariners from, I think, about the 29th farm system in baseball a few years ago, made all those trades, and really loaded up with a lot of good young talent, a lot of prospects right now. I think, depending upon what rating system you're looking at, about the 10th or 11th best farm system in baseball this past year so, the Mariners are loaded with good young talent. In In writing this special article, uh, what did you find out about the Mariners organization and those young players?
4: Yeah, so one thing I'll, I will tease a little bit is actually we're doing a farm system rankings right now. Uh, this week is on position players. We'll be breaking down our top 10 farm system groups by position players tomorrow. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but Mariners fans can be very happy about where the the position player group is placing there Uh, for this article you're talking about here. This was uh, using steamer 600 projections and looking forward at just the 2020 season, not forward at potential or anything like that. So Julio Rodriguez, which is a name I know a lot of Seattle fans are getting used to and getting very excited about doesn't exactly rank very highly for 2020, but obviously we know big things are ahead for him 2021 and moving forward there. Um, looking at 2020, I'm actually really excited at the projections for a player like Logan Out Al- or Logan Gilbert, who you know is the top pitching prospect right now for the M's, uh, former first round pick. A lot to like there for him coming off a season in which he had a 2-1-3 ERA and 165 strikeouts and 135 innings pitched, pitched at three different levels. The projections really like him in what would be his second full season, uh, comparing him to some of the other potential starting pitchers for the Mariners, he would have the fourth highest war wins above replacement. Uh, if they plugged him into the starting rotation day one, let him have 200 innings, which is what these projection systems give uh, for all starting pitchers. They would think he would have a four, seven, nine ERA, uh, 1.33 whip, which would actually be lowest among Seattle starters. And this is a guy who has yet to pitch above double a. So for him to have these projections already, uh, is really enticing. Obviously, he's not going to start out the year in Seattle. We know that he's likely to be back at Double A Arkansas. But if this is just the base level for him, and if he can keep it going after 2019, these projections are only going to get better, and it's not that difficult to see him potentially in the rotation by the second half when maybe that's not something I would have thought before I put this together.
2: Speaking of starters, where do Dunn and Sheffield kind of fall in this?
4: Yeah. So Dunn and Sheffield are obviously much more major league ready guys who have actually gotten major league time. Uh, They don't have the minor league numbers necessarily that a Gilbert does, but Dunn and Sheffield actually rank fifth and sixth among potential Mariners starting pitchers in war. Dunn came in at 1.5. Sheffield came in at 1.2. When we're talking about differences of decimal places in terms of wins above replacement, that's not big enough to say, hey, Gilbert should actually get a longer look. Uh, Dunn and Sheffield... I think should be in the starting rotation from day one. I know Dunn had some problems last year in the majors, particularly in, in his debut outing. Uh But when you look at, you know, how this rotation is kind of coming together right now, those two could slot into those four and five spots. They just need to get that major league experience. Um Sending him back to Tacoma for Dunn, that would be his first time at Tacoma. I know that, but uh sending him back there, to play in the PCL and get shelled there, I don't think he's going to learn much and grow from it as much as he would in the majors getting used to that atmosphere. Uh, so to see those guys come in at fifth and sixth among potential Seattle starters, I think is a good starting point. And again, they're young enough in their careers, uh, even though they've been in the, the minors for a little bit of time and, and Dunn was a college pitcher, uh, they're still young enough that this is, we should look at this as a base level and, you know, they have the potential to grow off of that as they gain that more, much more experience.
1: Hey, Sam, you said right now you, you're starting to rank the position players um, throughout the throughout the organizations. With, with the Mariners, when you're talking about the position players, how many of these guys, you know, is, is the bulk of these guys we're looking at 2020 or more 2021 when you're looking at, um, you know, some of the big prospects with the Mariners?
4: Yeah, so for the big ones, and I think the big ones have to start with Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. Those are guys we're talking about more for 2021 I think it's possible that they could surprise us, especially with Kelnick finishing last year at Double A Arkansas. Uh, for me, anytime a guy finishes the year Double A, they are at least a candidate to make the majors the following season. Uh, Rodriguez didn't get that chance mostly because of injuries. Uh, you know, he had a fracture in his left hand that caused him to miss a lot of time. But obviously, the M's love him. Uh, they pushed him aggressively. They moved him straight stateside last year at just age eighteen. They got into the Cal League. At age 18, they moved him to the Arizona Fall League at age 18. Um, but you know, to ask a player to make the, his major league debut in his age 19 season, I think is asking a little too bit, a little uh, too much. Uh, Kelnick, this will be his age 20 season. He's turning 21 in July. Again, I think it's going to come to the point where he might look major league ready in the second half. I think he could certainly make Tacoma after the all star break. Uh, but at that point, you're talking about what are we bringing him up for? Are we bringing him up just to get a little bit of taste? Or are we bringing him up uh, to waste service time? How does that all kind of come together? So when we're talking about the two biggest prospects here, I think we're talking more about 2021. I know you guys talked last segment about Evan White. Obviously, he's a 2020 option. Don in Sheffield we talked about it as well. Uh, I know those are more picture or Dunn and Sheffield are pitchers, but White is obviously a 2020 option. But when we're looking at this core of the farm system now, I think we have to look a little bit further into the future.
0: Visiting with writer Sam Dystra, who uh, came up with a great article about the prospects in the American League West. We'll get to the other teams, but we've got a few more kids to talk about here. I think developing uh, a major league catcher is one of the toughest things to do uh, in baseball. And the Mariners have a good young catcher in Cal Raleigh. What can you tell us about Cal Raleigh and uh, when do you project him to be in the big leagues?
4: Yeah, I mean, Cal Raleigh's right in that spot with with Kalnick, I think, in in terms of, you know, he finished last year at Arkansas. The numbers came down a bit coming from Modesto, but at Modesto, he really took off uh, 22 home runs there and 872 yeah. OPS. Uh, he's more of a power hitting catcher. There is a little bit of a question about you know, how is he going to stick behind own plate? I know there's some questions about his arm. Uh, he's 23, so he's certainly going to put himself on the radar for a call up this year if he can continue to show that power. Uh, you know, you look at what the Mariners have right now at catching. Uh, Tom Murphy, you know, is, is a good offensive player, but we'll see what he can kind of turn into. Who is going to be that backup role for them? Uh, I think Kyle Raleigh could become that. He's not going to become a barn burner in terms of a major league starting catcher. Uh, But the pieces are there at least offensively for him to be a good bat, and it certainly helps that he's a switch hitter.
2: Turning our attention to some of the other teams, I want to start with the Oakland A's, You know, won 97 games two years in a row with some weakness in the starting rotation. But it looks like they have some really interesting guys that could really help out the starting rotation starting next year.
4: Yeah, that that was kind of the downside of, of doing this story um, you know, doing it on Steamer 600 projections because Steamer, the projection system, can only go off what it is seeing. And mm-hmm. both Hazel Suzardo and A.J. Puck, who the guys you're alluding to there, two left-handed pitchers, both project to be really good starting pitchers. The A's brought them up last year for that playoff push. Suzardo actually featured in the wild card game. They trusted him enough to eat up big innings in that game. Uh, but they only pitched in relief. So when we look at the projections, steamers not going to say like, Oh, Hey, we have these scouting reports. It's not looking at that. It's looking at raw data. Uh, so it projected them to be relievers. So if you go to my story and you're wondering why they're not the leads or why they're not featuring high in in the war table, that's because the steamer can only project them as relievers right now. They'd be really good relievers, but I think both can be starters. Uh, both are going to be interesting to follow this year because they could be on a bit of an innings limit puck last year was coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, missed much of the year and was getting worked back up as the season went along. Luzardo has had his own issues. He's dealt with shoulder problems in the past. He has Tommy John uh, back from a few years ago. He only threw 43 innings in the minors last year, 12 in the majors. But if both of those guys are on their game and they can work them out, maybe skip a start here and there, maybe cut them off at five innings, only allow them to go two times through the lineup in a couple starts. Both have the potential to be 1-2 in that Oakland rotation. Luzardo throws really hard. He's got one of the best changeups I've ever seen from a left-hander. He's got really, really good control. Uh, Puck is more of a hard thrower. He's tall at 6-7. Uh, the nickname that gets attached to him a lot is the little big unit. And if you see him pitch, you know why his fastball is plus plus. His slider is potentially plus plus. Uh, he, had some trouble with the control here and there, and that can limit its ceiling. But uh, if we're talking at the end of the year as Luzardo is the best pitcher for Oakland and Puck being the second best pitcher for Oakland, even though this is technically their rookie season, it wouldn't surprise me uh, one bit.
1: Hey, Sam, the Angels made a big splash in the winter meetings, telling everyone they're going to go for a 2020. Do they have enough enough to get excited about, enough depth in their system to really have a, a good run?
4: Uh, in terms of depth, I, I wouldn't say that. They do have one exciting player, obviously, in Joe Adele, right. uh, who, who following the news this week, we all thought Jock Peterson was going to the Angels. That shocked me a little bit because I thought they were holding the right field spot open for Adele, hoping he would be ready. Adele is a true five-tool player. Uh If you ever look at his scouting report, it's pluses across the board. He can hit, he can hit for power, he can run, he can field, he can throw. He's going to feature really well. Next to Mike Trout for the long term, uh, and they also have Brandon Marsh, who's another outfielder. And maybe as Justin Upton ages, Brandon Marsh also takes over in left field, and that makes for one heck of an outfield. Uh, the where they struggle, I think, is in pitching. Uh, Patrick Sandoval made the majors last year, but his ceiling is kind of limited to maybe a four at best uh, in a starting rotation, and more likely as kind of a swingman. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the, you know, the top of the the chain there for the Angels is very exciting and they are closing in. Both Marsh and Adele will start out at AAA Salt Lake this year, uh, but it kind of crumbles from there and that's why you, you know you saw them in the market for Garrett Cole and they eventually signed Anthony Rendon is because they needed to fill their holes with free agents. They couldn't just do it internally. Once Adele comes up, that's going to be a really exciting lineup. I can't wait to see it. The pitching is the bigger question for me in LA.
0: Visiting with writer Sam Dykstra talking about the prospects in the American League West and We saw the Houston Astros uh, call up a number of young players who contributed last year to over 100 wins, a Kyle Tucker and other players as well. What do they have in the farm system right now? And they're going to take a hit not having a first or second-round pick this year and next year because of of what happened over the last uh, few months. So who's coming up with the Astros?
4: Yeah, the Astros are obviously at a very interesting time in, in their farm system right now. We were already down on them to begin with. They only have one top 100 prospect at present in Forrest Whitley. Uh, a lot of people thought he was the best pitching prospect in baseball last year. Uh, then he put up an ERA in the four digits in Triple A. really had some struggles with his command and his control. Uh, had to be sent down. He had some shoulder issues, tried to work that back. Ended up leading the Arizona Fall League in strikeouts, so at least there's a little bit of optimism there. He could potentially enter the rotation this year. Jose Urqu- Urquidy, uh could also do that i know some people think of him as a top 100 prospect after that it really flattens out uh trying to find you know who is going to be that next kyle tucker now that tucker is kind of graduated is is pretty difficult i like abraham toro who made a little bit of a splash last year when he got called up but he's a third baseman by trade uh he's a former catcher but i don't see them moving him back there it's going to be it, nearly impossible for him to unseat Alex Bregman, obviously. So where do you play him? They're going to have to figure that out. Uh, not having a first or second round pick the next few years is going to be difficult. We're probably going to have to see them be players on the international market if they're going to get potential top 100 prospects again because they didn't get penalized on that side. Um, but not having you know somebody to fill in behind Whitley, when he graduates, is going to be really difficult. And, you know, it might be a few years until this Astros farm system can be built up to a point where we're talking about it, ranking it somewhere in the top half.
2: The Rangers made some moves this offseason to try and move up the ladder a little bit in the division, although they could probably use some young impact as well. Is there anything next year that looks like they'll get that impact? Yeah, I
4: mean, I really like Nick Solak, a position player they got. Last year, uh, Solak came up, played a couple games for Texas at the end of the year. Uh, He's been spread out all across the minors so far. He was drafted by the Yankees. He was picked up by the Rays. Now he's with the Rangers. The Yankees and Rays have two really good developmental pipelines. Uh, So on one side, it's interesting that both of those groups traded him away, but on the other side, he's a valuable commodity. He can play both second base and outfield. He had an 884 OPS during his time in, in majors last year over 116 at-bats, so he's barely on the cusp of graduation. Uh, I think he's kind of a sleeper in terms of AL Rookies of the Year picks, uh, and the the projections certainly back that up. Uh, they think he would have a 98 WRC-plus this year, just below average. I think he's capable of beating that, and he would be worth around two WAR for a full season. Again, I think he can beat that just because of that is that good one other guy to watch with the rangers specifically for 2020 is joe palumbo uh he struggled last year during his time in the majors but at least he got up there uh and the the projections are pretty high on him because he is somebody who can usually hit his spots and was racking up the strikeouts at a pretty elite level last year in in the minors struck out 108 guys in only 80 and two-thirds innings between double a and triple a uh Right now, Steamer believes he's a two and a half WAR player. Uh, fits in quite nicely in that Rangers rotation. We'll see how he fits in, because like you said, the Rangers have made moves to really try to compete in this crowded AL West. Joe Palumbo is not going to get there, get them there alone. But having somebody who could be their number three or four starter already built in and only going to grow from there, uh, certainly helpful going into twenty twenty.
0: Sam, a number of times tonight you've mentioned Steamer, the Steamer 600. When I watch the Major League Baseball Network and Brian Kenny, it's the Shredder. Tell me a little bit about the Steamer 600, 600 and the rating system you use to look at all the kids in this organization and the others in the American League West.
4: Yeah, so Steamer 600 is something I, I take from Fangraphs. This is all on Fangraphs. It's publicly available. Anybody can go check it out. Uh, the point of my stories is trying to kind of pull cool all that together and identify prospects who might be closer to the majors than we thought, or, you know, potential rookie of the year picks. How, how do we project them forward over a full season? I use steamer 600 because it puts everybody on the same level. 600 stands for 600 plate appearances. That means position players get 600 plate appearances. Catchers get 450 starting pitchers get 200 innings and relievers, uh, Get 65 innings. Uh, the, what, the reason I do that is because if you start to break it down by playing time, it gets a little less fun for my purposes. Uh, you know, it's easy to say a double A player is going to get very limited time at the majors. That doesn't tell me anything. What I want to know is if he got called up on opening day, what would he do from late March all the way through September? Um, so yeah, I know Shredder is a little bit different for MLB network. What Steamer does is it takes previous stats. uses minor league stats it takes what level they performed at whether it was triple a double a class a advanced class a what have you it takes age into account all that kind of stuff and spits out the numbers that you see in this story
0: i know it had to be a lot of work and it gives us an insight to who's coming and that's what it's all about i think at the game of baseball especially this spring for the seattle mariners more so than any spring in in a long long time sam thanks a lot for joining us here on hot stove tonight yeah, thanks so much, guys. Have a good night. You're welcome. Sam Dykstra from minorleaguebaseball.com looking at the prospects in the American League West. We're getting ready for the second hour here on Hot Stove, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to visit here in the first uh, section of the second hour of the show with Trevor Gooby, who is the senior vice president of ballpark operations. We'll also visit with uh, beat writer Greg Johns as well. Stay tuned. The second hour of Hot Stove is coming your way right after this.